Alrighty. How is everyone doing this afternoon? All right. Well, we're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna get started. I'm very excited. Thank you, Miss Meggie. Meggie has pens. If you need pens, and uh, and we're gonna get started. How's that sound? Cool. And so, uh, <laughs> what? Tobeod. So feel free to uh, to ask questions. Uh, you can uh, shout them out or raise your hand, whatever you're comfortable with, and uh, and interrupt me. And because uh, I want this to be a discussion, not just a, something I'm presenting to you, but I want us to to really talk about these things. I think it's good. And it looks like Mia's ready as well. That's her name, right? Ava. I was close. Yeah. It had an E sound in it. <laughs> All right. So, Avinu <laughs> Malkenu, uh, our Father and our King, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you uh, reported to us the good news, the gospel in the, in your scriptures, Lord. And we pray that you would empower us to gospel, to share the good news in uh, in the way that you have called us to do, Lord, with for maximum impact um, for your kingdom, for the good of those who need to hear it, and uh, for your glory. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, looks like we're recording, so I'm going to get started here. And, and about the end of my presentation, um, there should be uh, a special speaker coming in some mode to share with us his or her thoughts on this very subject. A uh, notable scholar in this area, and so I'm excited about that. Does anyone have any idea who the special speaker might be? Nope. All right. All right. So, gospeling seminar. Right. It has all the all the info. Um, the word gospeling is something that I chose. It's not really a word, but uh, I've I verbed it. I verbed it because uh, in the Greek, um, when it talks about the gospel or the good news, uh, Paul has this phrase. He says, "The gospel that I gospeled." Euangelion, basically. And so the gut, and usually it's translated the good news that I preached or, or shared. But literally in the Greek, it says the gospel that I gospeled. So based on the Greek, uh, I have, uh, I like to use this word. Um, and I think the word evangelize, which Euangelion is based on, has some kind of connotations, especially in the, in the Jewish community. That uh, that's not not really my my favorite word. So uh, so this that's where we get gospeling. Okay. What this is not. This seminar is not how to reach Jewish people with the gospel. Um, now there there's nothing wrong with that seminar, and I've been to seminars like that where they talk about the cult the particular culture of the Jewish people as an ethnos and the history and why, you know, you need to be sensitive and, 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 and be aware of uh, anti-Semitism, anti-Jewishness in the name, unfortunately, of Yeshua. Um, but uh, that's not what this is. And I feel like the reason for that is that we've, we've, many of us have heard that seminar before, right? We've heard about the statistics about Jewish people and what they tend to need to hear and all that to, to draw them. 
And uh, so, but I wanted to, to take a different approach. And my approach uh, today is going to be strengths-based. It's a strengths-based approach, um, which I will explain in, uh, in the things coming up. And hopefully that will empower us to, to gospel, to, uh, to the Jewish community and the nations in a way that fits uh, with who God made us to be as individuals. Uh, any questions so far? Eva, you look like you have a question. Okay. Why, was it why I called you Mia? That, that may be the question. Okay. So, where do we start? In terms of strengths, um, I, my sense is that we start with identity. And in Hebrew thought, identity is connected to name. So you notice that when God changes someone's identity, he changes their name, right? For example, Avram or Abram became Avraham, which is great father to father of many, indicating his identity as the father of not just the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the father, in a sense, of all nations who are grafted into that promise, the Abrahamic promise through the Messiah who was to come. And so uh, that, that became his, his new identity. You notice that Jacob is given a new identity as Israel, right? And he's still referred to as Jacob, but he has this identity because he struggled with God, right? And um, uh, so the, this, this goes back to Genesis. The idea is that um, God gives us our name or identity. So who we are comes from, from him. Right? And it's not just your literal name, but it's uh, name in Hebrew thought is, is your personhood and your identity are connected to the word Shem or to the word name. That's why uh, you can, uh, there's, you've heard like there's power in the name of the Lord, right? Just the name of Yeshua is respected because um, it's not just a name, it's, it's his identity, right? And uh, his name is above all other names. And so that's, that's where that comes from. And we are made in his image, right? So the name that he gives us is our identity is rooted in the Lord, who he says that we are, right? And, and fundamentally, those things are related to the idea that we're made in his image, that we're made to have, uh, to have dominion over what he's given us, to steward what he's given us. Uh, these are all commandments in, in the first chapter of Genesis. Uh, and we're made in his image, meaning we reflect his goodness and his name and his, his face, right? And then our, our identity in Messiah means that we are in, in Messiah and we reflect him, right? So we are sons and daughters of the king, right? And no one else can tell you who you are apart from the Lord, right? And who he has said that you are. And from that name or that identity comes typically our calling, right? And this is a, some kind of purpose that God has given uh, us as his creation to do on this earth, right? We're not just here to enjoy uh, good food and uh, just hang out for whatever years that we're here, right? <laughs> but he's given us purpose. He's given us avodah, right? Work um, or uh, to, to worship him, to, to cultivate whatever he's given us, right? 
So um, in, uh, we see that in Genesis where? Uh, where do we see the idea that humanity is supposed to cultivate? It's supposed to do avodah. I can't hear you guys. Take care of the earth, right? And but what what specifically does he have Adam take care of? The garden, right? You're supposed to take care of the garden, and Adam is given the task of naming, isn't he? Right. So we that's because Adam, who which means humanity, mankind, humanity reflects what God is doing, right? So God gave Adam his name. Adam gave the animals their name. And he also gave his wife her name in a sense. Or, you know, some, some interpreters would say that God gave her the name and Adam affirmed it, right? But he turns, after they get the punishment in Genesis 3, it's very dramatic because it's God is saying, you know, you ate from the fruit, you rebelled, and you're going you're gonna, to uh, have pain in childbirth, you're going to uh, till the field in pain and labor, and the serpent is going to eat the dust now, and uh, there's a, even a messianic prophecy. And right after God gives this punishment, Adam turns to his wife the very next verse and says, calls her Chava, which means life, right? And so naturally you'd think, oh, this is the quote-unquote fall of mankind, so she should be called death because they brought death into the world, right? But that's not how the Lord works. So our identity, our name, which roots us in our calling or purpose, right, is secure in the Lord. And no fall, no eating the fruit, no uh, plan of the other team, the serpent, can come against who you are and who you are, what you are meant to do on this earth. And so... Our calling comes out of our identity and our name, and from that also flows our gifts and our strengths, what we're good at and what uh, God has given us. He's given all of us particular strengths, and you notice that people that are married tend to have complementary strengths, right? Because if God has drawn you together, that means they have some things that complement you. And if you look at a leadership team, particularly in, in the body of Messiah, right? Like our elders and our shamashim, we have different strengths that complement each other, right? Sometimes it leads to uh, conflict, but, <laughs> but that's always good because God uses that because it's, it just means that the other person has strengths that we need to listen to and God works through those things. So does, does all of that make, make sense so far? Okay. Any questions about name, calling, or gifts and strength? Yes. So, well, I. I think the verse actually says that he has a new a new name that he's going to give us. Um, so right. Um, so that has to do with I think the Lord created us in His image, 
right? And he is conforming us to his image uh, daily, right? That's why we, we, we say that every, every week, right? To be conformed into his image. And then in the age to come, in the revelation time, on that day, he will fully do that and fully give us a new name, right? So we'll be fully made new. So there's an aspect of the kingdom of God that is doing this that is a not yet and an already here. That's why it says in the, in the Gospels, the kingdom of God is upon you, right? It's kind of ambiguous. Well, it's upon me. Does that mean it's here? Yes. And it's still to come in, in a sense as well. So it's a little bit of a contradiction, but that's, that's how I, I would see that, right? Yes. Yeah, that's for you. Yeah. All right. Uh, any other questions? Okay. Um, this is from the Tales of the Hasidim uh, by Martin Buber, who was a, a Jewish uh, theologian. He wrote I and Thou, which is like a, his relationship, his I, you, his uh, face-to-face relationship with God. And this is what he says. A rabbi named Zuzia died and went to stand before the judgment seat of God. As he waited for God to appear, he grew nervous, thinking about his life and how little he had done. He began to imagine that God was going to ask him, why weren't you Moses? Or why weren't you Solomon? Or why weren't you David? But when God appeared, the rabbi was surprised. God simply asked, why weren't you Zuzia? In other words, that was his name. So our, in other words, our goal should not be to try to be Moses or try to be David or try to be someone else in the community that you might admire, right? But God wants to make you, you, right? The, in the best version of you, right? And and so perhaps he will finish that in the, in the age to come in, in, the, in the revelation. That's what that new name will be. But for now, he's, he's conforming us to that image. <clears throat> so in Ephesians 4, verse 11, there's a list of strengths primary strengths that uh, Rav Shaul, or Apostle Paul, talks about that are uh, occur in the body of Messiah. And many of you that I've gotten coffee with, I've talked with you about these gifts. Often it's called fivefold ministry in uh, the wider body of Messiah, and uh, Takun calls it that. And I think it's, it's very helpful. So um, I want to talk about those, and it starts about starts with the, the words, he made some of them to be, and there's a list of four or five, depending on how you read it, a primary roles or primary gifts in the body of Messiah. Um, but uh, often when this is talked about, these are talked about as identities, right? So the list is, he made some of them to be, does anyone know? Prophets, apostles, teachers, evangelists or gospelers and shepherds, right? And so the way I read that, because uh, I'm reading it through the, the Genesis narrative, is that I see these not as identities, but as primary giftings, right? So I wouldn't say this person is an apostle with a big A, or this person is a prophet with a giant P, right? But rather, I would say my sense from the Lord is that this person has a primary gifting in the area of the prophetic. That's, I think, a healthier way to, to think about it and talk about it. Okay? So I see it as gifting and not identity. 
And we notice from before, right, identity, then calling, and then strengths. So it flows that way. Um, so I would see it as someone with this primary gifting characteristic. Now, there could be more than one primary uh, gifting that a person has. They could be uh, strong in the prophetic and strong in gospeling, right? It's, they're not limited, right? And, and the last one says, but we, we all do all of them to a certain extent, right? So we all have to operate sometimes in all five in certain areas, right? If, uh, because scripture, let's take the gospeling, uh, evangelizing, for example, right? Um, scripture says to give a reason for the hope that you have, right? And so if someone were, came up to me and said, you know, uh, I'd really like to know more about Yeshua and, uh, and who he was. If I were to say to them, well, I'm not primarily gifted in gospeling, so I, I can't really tell you, right? But um, you should come to our Passover Seder and uh, then you'll hear, hear more about it, right? Do you think that that would be an acceptable way to go about it, right? So we can't say, I'm not, oh, I'm not gifted in that, I can't do that, you know? So that's why it's, uh, it's not an identity. That's why it's, it's a gifting, but we all do all of them to a certain extent. And, but my sense is that some people are particularly strong in the area of gospel. So in other words, God has given to us all an identity in him and a calling in him. And he's given to us, uh, certain of us, a stronger measure of the ability to, to gospel, right? But th that doesn't mean that we're all off the hook, those that don't have that strength, because we're all called to do it. So this seminar is for those that are particularly strong, but it's also for all of us in the body of the side. Does that make sense? So he, here are two, I would say, requirements for walking in your calling and your gifting and your strengths. The first one, and we're going to come back to this, is humility. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but I actually won the humility award here three years in a row. So I know a lot about this. And, uh, of course, the, uh, uh, I never accepted the award because I was so humble. So I had to give it back. No, but uh, but seriously, this is this is key, and the reason it is key is that if we say we are primarily gifted in something, and we're made in His image, that can kind of make us a little bit puffed up, right? Oh, I'm made in God's image. I'm a gospeler, right? But the truth is, He holds our very breath in His hands. That I can't I can't stand here and talk to you without the Ruach of God empowering me to do so. He woke me up this morning, and he gave me the movements in my muscles and is the breath that I breathe. And so we have to walk in humility in order to do this. And we're going to see that later on in some of the scriptures. But this is the key, right? And humility is not, oh, I'm such a, you know, it's not thinking bad about yourself, putting yourself down. But it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. But I, the way I think about it is that it's an acknowledgement that in your own strength, you cannot do anything. But in God, you can do anything that he has called you to do. And uh, David says, I think it's Psalm 16 or 18, 
He says, in God, I can leap over a wall, right? Like, you know, David, in his own strength, he can't, he couldn't do anything, but he, you know, he took down Goliath, right? And so we all have these Goliaths in our lives and that God has called us to, to confront, but it, it takes humility. And the other thing that it requires is love. And that's really a, a, a heart for others. And uh, it's the root of our, uh, our, all the Torah and all the commandments hang on the, on the um, concept of love. Loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Yeshua said, all of, the, all of the Torah, everything that God has to teach us, hangs on that concept. So if we're walking in humility, recognizing that God is the one who brings things to pass, it's not us. We partner with him, but we're the junior partners. Don't ever forget that. <laughs> right? And if we're doing it in love, I think that's the ballgame. And I think we'll see, we'll see all of us walking in our, our gifts and our strengths. Any questions about that? Okay. Um, so these are the Ephesians 4 gifts stated in uh, the way that I like to say them. There's the apostolic, there's a prophetic, there's a teaching, a shepherding, and a gospeling. Shepherding is sometimes referred to uh, pastor, pastoral, but I, I think shepherding is more Jewish, so that's the way I like to say it. Because um, uh, uh, technically I'm not a, not a pastor, so, but I try to be pastoral, right? Shepherding. So, yes, come in. Oh, I think someone's here. All right. Oh, but it's a secret. <laughs> All right, we're about halfway through, Rabbi. So, uh... <laughs> so, um, so these these uh, primary gifts um, are some of them are easier to define, some of them are, are more difficult to define. Um, so gospeling obviously means that you are strong in, in sharing the good news, whatever that is. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, and you, typically it means you have a heart for those that are far from God, that they would be brought near to God. And you have a heart from those, for those that are outside of the family of God, you want to see them in the family of God. And so if you have that kind of heart and that kind of strength, then you are probably primarily gifted in gospeling. Shepherding is uh, just as pastoring is just as it says. It's like taking care of people, right? There's some people that are very nurturing, that they they have a strong love for others, and uh, so and they like to um, mentor other people and take them under their wing, right? And that's uh, that's what that is. Teaching obviously is bringing. Uh, making complex things, right? The Bible is a long book, right? Making that understandable to people, right? And we would say someone like Ezra uh, had this gift, right? Because if you ever read in the book of Ezra, he made the he 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 not only said the Torah, but he made it understandable. He explained it, right? So this is like the first uh, example that we have in Scripture of of someone preaching. Right? They give the set. They they say what the Torah says, and then they explain it. Um, so that's teaching. Prophetic is kind of related to uh, visioning, 
And uh, I would say if you look at the prophetic witness of Scripture, you get a good sense of what that is. And there are two primary messages in, in the prophets that I've seen. One is repent, like come back to God, turn around, stop doing what you're doing, right? If you're in idolatry, if you're uh, sacrificing babies, if you're doing all these things, immorality and, uh, and injustice, then the prophetic witness says you need to return to God. And of course, as that is applied in the modern day, this has to be done in humility and love, right? Um, so because we want, we don't want to uh, uh, do it outside of that, that would be inappropriate. And the other message of the prophetic uh, would be a message of hope. Think about uh, some parts of Isaiah. It says, for example, you will mount up with wings like eagles. You will run and not faint. Right. And that's for those who hope in the Lord. Right. So uh, so the primary message of the prophetic is, as I see it in the scriptures, is one, turn back to God. And two, like it's going to be OK. <laughs> like God has got you. God is going to restore you. Um, and then there are some other aspects of the prophetic. Um, sometimes it's just like things that will happen. That or, or knowledge from God that um, that you couldn't know on your own. Um, so so prophecies about when the Messiah would be born and where the Messiah would be born. That's included in the prophetic, and that is sometimes in operation today, right? If someone has like a word of knowledge about um, about you that you didn't tell them, but that God had, that God knew, then that's prophetic. But primarily, it's I think hope and. Uh, uh, teshuva, repent. Uh, and then the apostolic is the hardest to define. I've really been thinking about this and praying about it. And because when most people think about that, the, the apostle, they think of the apostle with a big A, and that's, you know, the, the 12 apostles, right? And how could any of us have the same gifting? But I, I think of it as uh, primarily as administrative. Someone, so if you are in a position where you have like a para- congregational ministry, you're administering people, right? It's like the HR of, uh, of the body of Messiah. That's how I tend to think about it. And uh, putting people in the right place and able to administer both the resources that God has given you. So that's time, people, and, uh, and, and whatever you have, you're administering, you're apostling. Okay. Any questions about these five? Um, we could go more into them, but I want to focus, of course, on this seminar on the last one, gospeling. So I don't want to go too much into it, but yeah. When I was describing any of them, uh, did any of you have a sense of like, oh, I, I think I'm really strong in that area. And I'd like to, yeah. So if, if God kind of nudged you, then pray into that, right? Oh, I think I might have a, a gift of teaching, right? So mm -hmm. pray into that. Ask God and then and then look for ways in the in the local community that you can walk in that. All right, I wanted to give two uh, two examples. Um, so Rav Shaul or the Apostle Paul had um, uh, operated in all of these all of these things, I think, in a certain degree. So, um, but I also added his vocation, his his job, <laughs> uh, and Paul, of course, was a tent maker. 
but we don't know him that way, right? So that is to say that whatever you do um, from Monday to Friday or, or sometimes not <laughs> is, uh, is, can be related to your identity and your calling and your strengths, or it cannot be, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be, right? We wouldn't say that Paul was best known as a tent maker. We'd say he was best known as these other things, as an apostle, right? And so um, uh, these are just, uh, so just remember that whatever your job is in, in which God uses to bring you income for your family, uh, it can be related to your gifts, but is not necessarily related. In my case, they're directly related, but I'm working in ministry. Um, so how did Paul work in the apostolic gifting that, that he had? Yeah. Yeah, Shaliach is sent, right. Okay, so he kind of combined the apostolic with the gospeling, right? So he would he would gospel, he would share the, the good news about Yeshua. Um, did he ever operate in the prophetic? Was he ever encouraging or say you need guys need to come back to God? Yeah, that's he. Yeah, <laughs> Corinthians. Okay, you guys. Hey, not kosher. Okay, so we're familiar with that. Was he ever uh, shepherding? Who did he primarily shepherd? Timothy, right? He said, "This is my my son in the Lord," right? And even though he didn't actually father Timothy, he was a father to him. So fathering or mothering, you know, taking care of someone, discipling them, taking, you know, um, training them up, right? That's that's a shepherding gift. Uh, and then Paul, of course, was also a teacher, and we have all of his uh, letters to, to prove that. Yes? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, uh, because he was operating in an apostolic way, they, he might not have been able to directly shepherd all the congregants, right? Which is why we have the letters that we have, because he couldn't be there, so he wrote a letter, <laughs> So, which, of course, God used. So I, I definitely think he was strongest in perhaps the apostolic and the gospeling. And uh, and then, you know, he had primary gifts and secondary gifts. And it's interesting to think about that. But the point of this is for us to think about how God has made us. And you notice here I put also Yeshua the Messiah. Well, <laughs> of course, we're made in the image of God, right? So why is it that we are able to shepherd? Because he is the shepherd. And he is the shepherd, and he is the good shepherd. He is the pastor, right? Why is it that I am able to teach? Because he is the, the teacher. He is the rabbi with a capital R, and he has given me a small measure of that to operate in this local community. You know, I'm not comparing myself to him, right? But we, we as a body and as his creation reflect him in a small way if we're walking in humility and love. Right? Always goes back to that. Right? 
Why is it that we're able to operate in a prophetic way? Because Yeshua was the prophet, right? Moses said there's going to be a prophet with a capital P to come after me. That's him, right? Right? I'm able to gospel, to evangelize, because Yeshua is the gospel, <laughs> right? He is the good news, right? And then, uh, of course, uh, apostles, they all flow. All these identities and callings and gifts come from the Lord who has them in spades. He's a, he has the, these primary gifts in every area. And he's given to us, his, his children, a small measure of some of these. Does that make sense? All right. So now we're going to go into the gospel proper. For those that uh, want to know about gospeling, I want to ask you a question. What is the gospel? And my first answer is, it's more than you think. It's always more than you think. If you think you have a, a definition of it, I'm, I, I bet you that I'm not a betting man, but I would be willing to bet you, a gentleman's bet, that it's more than you think it is right now. And it's probably more than I understand it right now. I'm at a certain level of, of understanding what this word means, but I think it's even more than that. And so uh, what is traditionally taught, you see on the bottom here, the gospel is Yeshua died for your sins so you can go to heaven. And I want to postulate that that is the message of salvation. It is not the gospel. And I also want to postulate that the message of salvation is a piece of the gospel. In other words, Yeshua did die for your sins so you could go to heaven. But that is not even the whole message of salvation, let alone the whole gospel. Okay? So that, um, so that leads us to the question, okay, David, then what is the gospel? Right? So let's look at some scriptures where it mentions this word, euangelion, and try to determine the biblical definition. So this is a, a good one. This is 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, this is uh, what Scott McKnight says is the best definition of the gospel, uh, who's a, a theologian. Uh, so he says, Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the good news, the gospel, which I proclaim to you, which I gospel to you, that Messiah did what? Died for our sins According to the scriptures. Ah, don't forget that. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. According to the scriptures. He says it twice. He says it twice. And if anything is repeated in scripture, that means what? It's important. Pay attention. Right? Anything my wife says to me twice, I know it probably means I should have been listening the first time. <laughs> And then he appeared to Kepha, Peter, and then to the Twelve, etc., etc. Okay? And then uh, there's this other part down here, also in 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, so also in Messiah all will be made alive, but each in its own order. Messiah the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Messiah. Then the end, when he, he hands the kingdom over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. 
The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection underneath his feet. When the psalmist says that all has been put into subjection, which I believe is Psalm 110, um, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put all things under Messiah. Now, when all things become subject to him, then the Son himself will also become subject to the one who put all things under him, so that God may be all in all. Phew! All right, there's a lot there. But the, uh, you notice that I've highlighted two things. So this is the beginning of, of Paul explaining the gospel. He died for our sins, which means what? Atonement, right? Instead, it, So some scholars say that means instead of us, right? In our place, which could be, right? It could be an atonement to make us, you know, for our sins. It could be because of the sins that we committed, that he is now saying that he did those. So that little phrase, for our sins, could, could mean a lot. But then it says twice, as I said, according to the scriptures. Now, when Paul was writing, we understand that Paul, what he wrote now is scripture, right? But when Paul was writing, what did that Greek word mean? The Tanakh, right? So, so Paul was saying, according to the Hebrew Bible. And the primary story of the Hebrew Bible is what? What? But who are the who, who are the main characters? Israel and God. In other words, that this story, this Yeshua story, is according to this other story. And it fulfills the story of God with Israel. And that that Story is part of the gospel. And usually when the gospel is talked about, this is not included. And I'm saying that according to Paul and according to the now scriptures, <laughs> this is part of the gospel and it's an important part. And so, in other words, he died for our sins. That idea is, is rooted in God's relationship with Israel somehow. It's not just like individual scriptures or individual prophecies, right? That he's saying, oh, he, he fits like Isaiah 53, right? Do you, I don't think Paul had just Isaiah 53 in mind when he wrote this, because he said scriptures, karatas grafas, according to the writings, right? The whole thing. So the whole story of God with Israel is fulfilled in this other story. And also, um, as Kathy mentioned, the redemption Right? He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, there's, there are prophecies about the third day, right? where it's, there's like little hints, but I don't think Paul just meant that. I think Paul meant the whole redemption narrative of God and Israel. And then if you look down, there's this thing that he says, and all this whole paragraph, and what is that all about? That's about all things being subject to, to Yeshua, and it means that Yeshua is what? What? Lord of all. He is king. He is enthroned. So according to this small text, we have Yeshua's atonement and how that fulfills the story of Israel. We have Yeshua's resurrection and how that fulfills the story of Israel and redemption. And we have something about 
the enthronement of Yeshua as king. And those, I would say, are primary. This is a very good definition of the gospel. Is it all the gospel? I don't know. We'll take a look at a few more verses. You can, you can be the judge of that. Any questions so far? All right. 2 Timothy 2.8. This is very brief. It's like one line. So Paul says, remember Yeshua the Messiah, raised from the dead, from the seed of David, according to my good news. There's a lot packed in there, right? So when Paul says Messiah, Mashiach, what does that mean? Does that mean something? Anointed. And who is anointed in the, in the Tanakh? Kings, kings were, or priests were anointed. That's exactly right. So he's saying, remember Yeshua, the anointed one, as in the king and the priest. Just that little word. Raised from the dead. So this one doesn't have anything about Jesus died for my sins so I can go to heaven. He's, he's summarizing the gospel without that. I think it's part of the gospel, but in this case, he's, he's not mentioning it. Raised from the dead. And then he says, from the seed of David, right? Why is that important? Why is that part of the gospel? Yeah, it's the kingdom of David, right? It's that the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, where he says, I will put a king to sit on your throne forever from your seed, from your descendants, right? And the seed of David is not just Solomon, because Solomon didn't live forever. Spoiler alert, sorry for those of you who haven't read it, right? So it has to be some sort of messianic king, right? So put that together with what we just read. The enthronement of Yeshua is part of the gospel because he is the promised Messiah and king from the line of David. According to my good news, this is Paul's gospel. All right? Any questions about that? Let's check out one more. Paul, a servant or slave of Messiah Yeshua, called to be an emissary, that's one that's sent or apostle, set apart for the good news of God, which he announced beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And notice the format that it's given to us. Um, I got this, uh, I think, from the TLV or the CJB. Um, and uh, this is the way that it's formatted. And I think it's very interesting. Concerning his son, he came into being from the seed of David, according to the flesh. He was appointed Ben Elohim, the son of God in power, according to the Ruach of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He is Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. So you see that the story is kind of a V shape, right? So he's came into being. How did he come into being? Mighty warrior? Or little bitty helpless baby. Little bitty helpless baby, right? In born in a feeding trough, right? Not much lower. And then he and then he we're gonna see how much lower Yeshua actually got before he was raised up. Okay? So it's a V, there's a V story here. Alright? Um I wanna the if you look through Acts. There's some really awesome examples of gospeling that I don't have to get, I, I don't really have time to get into now. 
If you look at Acts 3, Acts 7, and Acts 13, there's some really cool examples. Acts 7 is particularly remarkable because it's Stephen, and he's about to die. He's about to be stoned to death. And where he would, what he would talk about, he talked about, is not what we would think to talk about if we were about to die, right? And if you read it, it opens with, our father Abraham was called out from a land that was not, you know, and he brought, and he, you know, you're reading that thinking, when is he going to get to the Yeshua part, <laughs> right? Like, that's what we're, we're, where we would go. But Stephen was gospeling, I think, according to the scriptures, right? He was bringing the story of Israel and showing how Yeshua fulfills this story. Otherwise, it's the punchline of a joke with no premise. It doesn't make any sense, right? To even say that Yeshua is Messiah, as we said, that means something. It means anointed one like a king or a priest, right? It's not, it's not as though it's his name is, first name is Jesus, last name is Christ, right? Like that's not how it is, right? This, it's a word, Christ means Messiah, Mashiach, that it means something. Um, and so without the story of Israel, I don't think the gospel makes a lot of sense. And so I would encourage us when we share the gospel to include that. Um, so this, these are elements of what I think of the, when I think of the gospel, I would describe the full gospel. All right. <laughs> Number one, allegiance that is devotion and uh, you giving your, your, you're saying you belong to him, right? And uh, it's faith and trust. It's all of those wrapped up to the word allegiance. Allegiance to King Yeshua. And that also includes being under his kingdom. So the gospel, the full gospel is a kingdom gospel. Remember, uh, I've talked about this before, but remember in Genesis, in the, book of, uh, in the book of Genesis, in the early parts, they're talking about building, in chapter 11, about they're trying to build Babel, right? Which is Babel. And there it's translated as the Tower of Babel, and everywhere else that is translated as what? Babylon, right? And that Babylon is the, the other kingdom. So remember, there's, there's two kingdoms going on in the scriptures. There's the kingdom of Babel, and then there's the kingdom of heaven, right? And Yeshua is the king. If you have a kingdom, you have to have a king, right? All right? So he is the king of this kingdom, right? So we have allegiance to him, right? We are devoted to him. And that is one element, I think, of the full gospel, all right? So there's a lot tucked in there. It's a kingdom gospel, and he's the king. Number two, if you read through the gospeling, especially in the book of Acts, there's a small, tiny thing called repentance, teshuvah, right? And so they don't just say, oh, Jesus died for you so you can go to heaven. There's an aspect that we have allegiance to him, right? And that we need to change our behavior because we are redeemed, okay? Not so that we're redeemed, but because we are redeemed, right? We need to repent and turn back to God. Uh, there is the aspect of trusting and faith and devotion, which uh, is summarized by the excellent word allegiance, 
Um, and if you want to learn more about that, there's an excellent book by theologian Matthew Bates called uh, Saved by Allegiance Alone. And he's working on translating this word pistis, which is usually translated faith or trust. And so we look at the bottom there, salvation from sin and death through pistis, right? Which is usually, usually translated through faith, right? And I'm not preaching a works gospel here, right? But what I'm saying is that pistis is more than just believing, right? Because scripture says even the demons believe and shudder and the demons are not saved, right? So that's really not, it's not what it is. That's not what pistis is, okay? Pistis is trust and faith, but it's also devotion. And I think that the, um, uh, Matthew Bates has the excellent word allegiance that we can, we can use. I pledge allegiance to the flag, right? That's we all we all know that. Proverbs said that many times growing up. That means we are we are devoted to that, and that's that has authority over us, right? And if the flag has authority over us as Americans, then Kal Vachomer, how much more should the king of the kingdom of heaven have authority over us? We should be allegiant to him. Uh, number five, you notice that the gospel has to do with the Son of God enthroned. Right? Especially at the end. At the end of that V story, he's on his throne and all things are under his feet. All rulers, powers, and authorities are under in subjection to Yeshua. He is the king of kings. And finally, last but certainly not least, I think the full gospel is has something or a lot to do with the story of Israel. Okay? There may be more, and I, you know... I can certainly share that with you in the next month as I'm learning, but this is this is all that I know um, right now. But you see, it's it's more than you think, right? Okay. Any questions so far? All right. <clears throat> so gospeling. Now that we know what the gospel is, how do we how do we gospel? And the the answer is there is no answer. There's no formula for for sharing the good news. Why is that? Because each person is different. Each person is coming from a different place, has different experiences, different framework, um, different uh, worldviews, right? So therefore, how do we do it? And uh, my, the, our special speaker, who I think is now on, online with us, will share more about that, this aspect of it. But... My sense is that it has to do with understanding the, the individuality of each person. We are created uniquely by God. And then so therefore we have to rely on God and the, the person of the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, to, uh, to enable us to tell that person what they need to hear. Because we don't know. We don't know where they're at. We don't know their worldview. We don't know their experiences. We don't know their hurts, but the Lord does. The Ruach knows. And so he can, in the Ruach, we are able to gospel to people. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're presenting the story of Yeshua, as it fulfills the story of Israel, in a compelling way. Right? We're linking, and then we, we, we story link. So we link the Yeshua story 
which is anchored in the Israel story, and anchor that to our story, right? So we tell people what the Lord has done for us, right? And that points them to the Lord, right? Because they are able to see that. And But we do it in humility and love. We rely on the Holy Spirit, and we do it in, a, in perhaps creative ways because each person is unique. And this is a little scripture here. They overcame him, that is, the other team, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. That is, they overcame the enemy because of the redemption of the the Passover lamb, Yeshua, and by telling their story. And their story, not just their story, but his story in them, and then Israel's story in him. That's how I think it was done. That's what I think that means. Cool? So let's put it all together. We're walking in our strengths, right? In the power of the Ruach in order to share the full gospel. Now that we have a definition of it and we know that we have to walk in humility and we're walking in the power of the Ruach and we're walking in our strengths, which is rooted in our calling, which is rooted in our identity, then I think we are ready to gospel, right? And I want to talk a little bit more about the V story, okay? And this is a scripture uh, that I think pulls the gospel, humility, and the V story all together, and it's really, really good. And I've, um, I have formatted it like this as a V to show you. <clears throat> Let's read this together. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Messiah Yeshua. This is Philippians 2, 5 through 11, by the way. Who, though existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, becoming the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Yeshua the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a lot in there, right? But this is... A lot of scholars consider this to be another form of the gospel, even though it doesn't. Paul doesn't say the word gospel here. This is, in the sense, the gospel, right? So, you sh- who is the humblest person that ever lived? Yeah, there's the Sunday school answer, right? <laughs> Yeshua, right? So he was, even though he was the image of the invisible God, and had every right to be proud, <laughs> he wasn't. He was humble and actually humbled himself even unto death. And therefore, so that's the V, right? Born as a baby in a feeding trough and just goes downhill from there. Rejection, rejection, you know, a little bit of acceptance, blah, blah, blah. And then death. And then therefore, God did what? Raised him up, right? That his name is above every name, right? which is equating him with the identity or name of the God of Israel, Yudhei right? Because there's only one name that's above every name. That's Yudhei 
right? And that's from whom we get our names. We get name our identity from the name, the identity, right? Apart from him, we, 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 have, we have no identity. In him, we are his kids. We're made in his image. And so now, now Paul is saying that Yeshua, his name is equated with the yud heh vav and that his name is above every name because he became human and because he humbled himself unto death, therefore God raised him up. And so what does that mean for us? Well, scripture says we died with him that we could be raised with him. In other words, if Yeshua, the Lord, had to be humble, I'm like, what's what's my what's my resume, right? <laughs> I was not born of a virgin, right? I was not without sin, and so how much more should I be humble, right? And unto death, not literal death, but dying to myself, right? That God would raise me up. So the humbler that I am, the more that God can work in me and through me to accomplish what He's doing. Right? And so we have this model, this V model, looking at Yeshua, right? And then being raised up. And we identify with him. We are his followers. So we follow him into that. Right? And we have rituals that help us do that, <laughs> like immersion in water, aka baptism. Right? We died with him and then we're raised with him. Right? We, have, we take uh, the Lord's Supper. Every, every month or so, right? Because we are identifying with him, right? His broken body and his blood that he shed. So we are in, in Messiah now, okay? So I encourage you, meditate on this scripture. This is a very special scripture, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And think about, think about the V story and think about how we identify with him and how now his name is above every name. Fred, did you have a question or comment? A note on that humility. I think it'll help us understand Yeshua's humility and, and what humility should mean for us. Mm -hmm. And I discovered long ago that the Greek word for I can't remember what it is, but mm -hmm. I do remember the study that I did on it, mm -hmm. that the word is in the Extra writings, I mean, at yeah. that time, the Greek business writings and all, everything else that you that we use to understand the Greek of the New Testament. Right. That that word for humility or being humble was used of some horses that were being traded hmm. and sold who had come under the influence of the rain. So they were trained horses, they had become sensitive to the tug of the of their owner wow. on the reins. Now, follow that to us is the Holy Spirit is the one who tugs on the reins of our heart. Yeah. So it's, you know, that's it. It's remembering who's king. We're not king. He's king. And therefore, he has the right to discipline us and rein us in. <laughs> it's good. Good word. Um, common, those are strong in gospeling. As I said, these these often go together with other giftings. So if you have gospeling and a prophetic gift, that means 
you make God may give you a sense of where that person is at without them having to explain so that you can share the story of Yeshua in a way that's compelling. Uh, gospeling and teaching, if that goes together, then you're able to show how this is congruent with the scriptures and the story that's that's laid out. And you're able to make it make it plain for people to understand, right? Um, uh, a gospeling and a shepherding would be if you're reaching out to someone and uh, but you're also taking care of them. You care, you're showing your care about them. Again, we should all be doing all of these, right? But some people are particularly strong. So if you're strong in shepherding and gospeling, that means, you know, once once you have gospel to them, you also you are also a kind of a father or a mother to them. You you nurture them uh, in a sense. And then the apostolic would be how Paul uses it, right? Where they have kind of a broader administrative uh, use of gospel. Uh, common pitfalls. Uh, people that are strong gospelers, usually in my in my shepherding and working with people, there's two particular pitfalls that they fall under. One is assuming, and the other is boundaries. Now, assuming uh, has to do with um, if you assume that a person is is thinks one thing, or if you don't see them as an individual then you might make a misstep and assume that they need something that they don't actually need or that they understand something they don't actually understand. So how do you avoid that? Two ways. You listen to the Lord and then you ask questions, right? Um, and uh, because, you know, even if someone is Jewish, that might mean some things, but that doesn't mean everything, right? Because there there's a typical way that Jews respond to the gospel, but not everyone is typical, right? Some people are weirdos. Okay? <laughs> um, and then, uh, then the idea of boundaries. And boundaries is the concept that um, we're knowing where you end and where other people begin. And it's based on the scripture, above all guarded things, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And... The word for guard in Hebrew is shomer. And this is the same word that is used for guard or keep for the commandments, for guard or keep the Shabbat. And so in this verse in Proverbs, God is saying, more than you keep the commandments, more than you keep Shabbat, keep your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And that, if you think about that, is, is a very powerful thing. And... You're, when you keep your heart, you're guarding of it, you're stewarding it, that means you you have semi-permeable boundaries. And that means if someone says something to you, you decide whether you take that in or not. Because no one can tell you who you are except for the Lord. Right? So if someone gives you a word that's strange, you don't have to take that into your heart. Right? If someone says a teaching that's bizarre, that you don't think lines up with scripture, you don't have to take that into your heart and into your head. You have your own boundaries. But it also means that those that are um, strong in gospeling typically have really big hearts, right? Because they want to see people come in to know God. They really have a strong heart for others. But you have to pair that with the tool of boundaries. 
because you can actually love someone in an unhealthy way. You can overlove people. I don't know if you realize that, but it's possible because uh, you can get into situations of codependency. You can get into situations of enabling, right? Um, you know, the Lord doesn't do everything for us. Sometimes the Lord wants us to do something, right? So if you come in and you do that thing for that person, they, oh, I need this. Well, let me help you do that, right? Then maybe you weren't supposed to do that. And if you see someone in need, maybe God, this might be controversial, but maybe God is not calling you to help that person. Maybe God, there's three possibilities, I think. Either if it's not you. It could be he wants someone else to help that person. He wants that person to kind of figure it out. Or he wants to help them directly. But it's not about us. Not necessarily about us. right? God can use us and does use us, but it's not always us. So if you're not assuming and you have strong boundaries, then I think you'll be a more successful gospeler, especially if you have a big heart for people, uh, which gospelers tend to do. Does that make sense? Uh, yes? Right. Right. Yeah, that's good. So boundaries is understanding there. If, they, if they're communicating... You know, I'm not comfortable with this. And we respect that. Right. It's good. Okay. All right. Here are some more resources. Uh, so in terms of books, I would recommend a book called Living Your Strengths. And this is a special book because it has a code in the back. If you Make sure you get a new one. They're available in the bookstore. And uh, if you take that code and go online, you take a test and tells you your top 34 strengths, uh, your top five out of 34. And then uh, come talk to me and get coffee with me, and I'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. But, <laughs> but you can also read the book, and uh, the book will tell you what those strengths mean. And typically they're in, uh, they're in uh, four general categories, and it'll help you walk in your strengths. So my primary strength out of 34, and my number one is developer. What is a developer? Developer is someone that draws the strengths out of others, right? So that's what I'm, what I believe God has created me to be primarily good at that. Why am I good at that? Because the Lord is the developer. He is the shepherd and he's the one that draws out our strengths. And he's given me a small measure of that to enact in this local body. And so we believe, uh, I really like this book because it's research-based, but it's also scripturally based. And it's helpful. Raise your hand if you've taken this strengths test. All right? Keep your hand raised if you found it helpful. Strengths. Strengths finders or uh, living your strengths. It's a test. It's a book in there, yeah. All right? Um, what? Not that helpful? <laughs> All right, we'll talk, Bonnie. I know you think it's helpful. All right. But, um, but if you read it, if you take the test, then it kind of, you, a lot of people have this aha moment. It's like, oh, that's why I do that. That's why I enjoy doing this because I'm strong in that area. And then you can do more of that and walk in, you know, who God made to be. Another, another book that I heavily relied on is called the King Jesus Gospel by Scott McKnight, who other than a few replacement theology tendencies is uh, right on the money. And he talks about how the gospel is typically described as 
the salvation narrative, and he's saying it's much more than that, and I heavily relied on that for this. Um, and then uh, there's a book I mentioned called Salvation by Allegiance Alone by Matthew Bates, and there's a book on boundaries by Townsend. And uh, some helpful videos are uh, Interfaithfulness, which is uh, a, an organization from uh, the mind and heart of Rabbi Stuart Dowerman. And uh, he also does Facebook Live. He has, a, I think, a new YouTube channel. So check that out. And The Bible Project, thebibleproject.com, they're on YouTube. And that's done by Pastor Tim Mackey, which is uh, very helpful. It shows the, they do word studies, and it's just helpful for understanding. And helpful scriptures um, are 1 Corinthians 15, Romans 1, 2 Timothy 2, 8, and Psalm 8. Uh, Psalm 8 has a really nice V story. Um, that's the, what is man that you are mindful of him, son of man, you know, but you've crowned him a little lower than the angels, that idea. And, uh, of course, uh, Philippians 2. This is my final advice. Instead, sanctify Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet with humility and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that whatever you are accused of, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Messiah may be put to shame. So share the good news in humility, always being ready to give an answer for those who ask. What is the hope that's in you? It's Yeshua. Let me tell you about it. And that's from 1 Peter 3. And now I'd like to, if he or she is on, well, I guess you know it's a he now. Uh, there's a picture here. Does anyone have any idea who our special speaker might be? Who's behind that mask? No? No? No clues? All right. So let's see if I can. Yes. Rabbi Stuart Dowerman should be here. Can all right. All right. Can you guys hear Rabbi Stewart? No. All right. Let me do some finagling here. Uh, where's my... Can you say... Just keep talking, Rabbi. Keep talking, Rabbi. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yay! Praise God for Sonia. All right. Share the same passions. As a matter of fact, all four books he's mentioned I have read 
So uh, uh, we uh, we have a lot in common, and uh, we have a passion for outreach. So I want to share with you. I, when I heard what Rabbi David was going to do, I uh, I said uh, I uh, I would like to just come in and say my amen to what you're doing to, to kind of. Uh, assist in the impact of what's going on, because I think it's so important. What I'm going to share with you all be a brief power presentation. I know you've been going through a lot of cognitive input, and I hope this won't be cognitive overload for you. And at the end, I'll recommend that you go visit my YouTube channel, because my YouTube channel will take every one of seven points I'm going to share with you, and spends about 10 to 12 minutes on each one of them. So go to Interfaithfulness on YouTube. Not Interfaith, there's some other group called Interfaith or Interfaithful, not me. Interfaithfulness, and uh, you'll get more of this if you want it. But meanwhile, I'm going to share my screen, and I'm going to share this PowerPoint presentation with you, and, uh, and we'll see if this does you any good. I'll bet it will. So we're looking at this, the seven C's of faith sharing. Cover these bases and improve your game. So uh, I've got a few bases. These are uh, uh, on the basis of the same uh, insights that David has and on the basis of my own experience from about 50 years. I'm going to give you some uh, pointers that I think will help you to implement the excellent teaching you've gotten today from David. First of all, uh, we do start with Israel's God story. And I would say that it has to do with the whole revelation of the Bible, the whole worldview of the Bible. When I, when, I, when you're talking to somebody on the, uh, there by the university, they may not have a biblical worldview. They may have a very New Age worldview. They may have a very nihilistic worldview. But uh, Israel's God story takes us into a worldview where we have a God who is the source of all being, all beingness was implemented by God, who was the, that's why he introduced himself to Moses, that Moses, what's your name? He says, tell him that I am has sent you. He is the only self-existent one. He is the source of all being. So we have a worldview which includes the idea of a God who created all that is. The whole space-time continuum is the creation of God, a God who elects, a God who makes choices, who chooses various people uh, and chose a people for his own namesake. He's a God who makes choices. He's a God who redeems and rescues and who gave Israel a, uh, a, uh, a ritual life whereby they could access uh, redemption, which is uh, a, a compensation for the fact that in the presence of this God, they have proven themselves to be utterly unworthy. And, and under the judgment of the judge of all the earth. He's a God of revelation. He brought us to Sinai. He revealed his ways to Moses and to our ancestors subsequently. So he's a God who reveals. And he's a God of consummation, that at the end of all things, he is going to fix everything that is broken and bring into total fruition all of the capacities of the created order. So that is the is the kind of the, the web in which the Yeshua story sits. That's where it makes sense. So, secondly, the content of Yeshua's story, as David points out, it, it culminates in Yeshua as the king 
and judge of Israel, and therefore the king and judge of all else. And uh, third, thirdly, that's the second C. The first C is context. The second C is content. The content of God. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again from the, from the dead. He was seen by many. He ascended to heaven. He is. Uh, he has been enthroned in heaven. He is the king. Okay, number three, communication. Uh, David used the word stories a lot, and that shows how much alike we are. People are not interested in hearing about your truth. They do want to learn how they can have an experience with God. People are much more attuned in our day to experience than to principles. So in terms of communication, uh, in terms of sharing your faith, uh, share your stories of God with your friend. And I have a 15-minute presentation on my YouTube channel all about that. And I think I, I gave you that at Tikvat Israel. Share your stories of how God showed up in your life. Show uh, how this is relevant to your friend. Uh, uh, in other words, tell stories that, that will connect with them. Relate your story to Israel's story and uh, relate your story to Yeshua's story. Connect them in some way, not only to you, so they can really connect with you, but then they would see that it has some connection to what God has done with Israel throughout history, including the Brich of the New Testament, and how it relates to what Yeshua did. Connections. Sharing your faith is not a, uh, a solo act. It's a communal act. So yes, share with your friend yourself and your story, but then introduce them to select friends of yours who they could really connect with. Because what will often happen is as your friends tell their story to your person whom you're witnessing, your friend will see, well, wait a minute, what you encountered, uh, this guy or this woman, they encountered something very similar in their own life. And then you introduce them to the Bible, especially to Yeshua's story, and then begin to see that what happened in your life and what has been happening in your friends' lives is something that the Bible speaks of. It's all a piece. Also, you must remember to pray and have your friends pray for your friend. When I was, uh, the gospel was shared with, uh, with me by a, a woman named Andrea Anderson. Uh, she and I were both students at Manhattan School of Music. And uh, one day I walked her home from Manhattan School of Music on 105th Street to the studio club, which was on, I think, about 79th Street. So that's about 25 blocks. And she sought to share her faith with me. I totally forgot about the whole conversation. It was like sowing seed on granite. But during the following six months, she was praying for me. She had other friends praying. She started a Bible study in the cafeteria of the school. She invited me to do that Bible study. And within seven weeks, I was a believer. I've been a believer now for 54 years. So uh, don't forget to pray. Uh, pray is a force for change in the world. And don't forget that it's the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, that really does the work. If I could tell you the story about my, how my son Chaim came to faith two years ago, it was a work of God just as clear as any page in the book of Acts. Uh, you know, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, 
But it's God who gave the increase. It still is. So don't forget the ruler. Number five, consequences. I suggest you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19. And what, a, what good will this do your friend? Uh, uh, it's a good question they might ask. Well, what good will this do me? And uh, Paul says, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creature. Uh, first of all, is a new sense of being. We are in Messiah, and the Messiah is in us. We are, uh, the, Paul says that if anyone joins himself to the Lord, he is one spirit with him. The spirit of God bonds with our spirit, with our, our core identity, bonds with us so that we're meant to walk through life with a, a kind of a, a joint sense of being, with a deep sense of God's companionship in every situation. So what does this offer people? A new sense of being, a new citizenship. We're new creatures because we're citizens of the new creation. We have a passport to the age to come. That's a big deal. And a new status. Uh, God was in Christ, uh, reconciled the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses unto, unto them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's also in this passage. So your friend has a chance for a new sense of being, a new citizenship, a new identity, a new destiny, and a new status of being totally forgiven and absolutely embraced by God. That's not bad. Number six, we must show communal respect. First Corinthians 10, 32. Paul says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Many Messianic Jews, not a Tikvah Israel, but in, in and around our movement, and most of you will know that, have a negative attitude to, quote, the religion of the rabbis. And I've known people who are, who are professionals in sharing Yeshua faith with Jewish people who used to turn rabbis like they're talking about the mafia. This is not right. Paul, Paul says, give no offense to Jews. It's offensive to Jewish people to speak of their, of their communal leaders and of their religion in a negative sense. No. Or to Greeks. It should be or, not of to Greeks. Uh, uh, Greeks here stands for people who have uh, adherence to false religions. The Greeks were idol worshippers. If you're dealing with a Muslim, be respectful. Now, that's rare amongst evangelical Christians in our day, and it's wrong that it's rare. We're to give no offense even to those who hold to false religions. Jews hold to a true religion. The Greeks are here in this sentence as holding to a false religion. Or to the Church of God. You and I know people in the Messianic movement who say, oh, well the Church it's all apostate. They don't celebrate the feast. They don't celebrate the Sabbath. They don't keep the law. Well, God never gave those feasts to the Church. He didn't give the Sabbath to the whole world. He said to, to, to Israel in Exodus 31, 17, this is a sign between me and you forever. And, uh, and, uh, and the church is not supposed to obey the law. It doesn't have a covenantal responsibility for the Torah like Jews do. But regardless of what your opinion is about Jews, about adherence to false religions, or about the church, Keep it to yourself. Jewish people are like David's parents. Intelligent, liberal people 
who are very tolerant and who value tolerance. And the minute you show intolerance in any of these areas, you end up uh, coming across as a narrow-minded bigot. That's not a recipe for good communications. Okay, number seven, communal appropriateness. In our synagogues, Jews should feel like they are coming home, not leaving home, and not like strangers in a strange land. You have this beautiful sanctuary. You have such a head start on, on almost every other congregation in America. Uh, make sure that you relish that, above all, your synagogue should feel like home to Jews. There are congregations where, uh, where have, you have people uh, running around blowing shofars whenever they're excited. Uh, well, God bless them. But a Jew comes in and I say, what the hell is this? Uh, you want to have a service and an ambiance that is as reminiscent of a mainstream synagogue as can be, so that Jews feel like they're coming home rather than being guests in somebody else's world. The purpose of our congregations is uh, to be a sign, a demonstration, and a catalyst of God's consummating purposes for the sons of Jacob. The Messianic movement is meant to be a servant movement. We do not exist for our own entertainment. We exist to serve God's purposes for the Jewish people. And God's purpose for our movement is to be a sign, a demonstration, and a catalyst of what God is up to among the Jewish people in the latter days. And I'm glad I'm talking to a congregation for whom this will not be, well, that's the first time I ever heard anything like that. No, no, no. No, you know. And finally, in our congregations, Jewish people should feel like they're coming home rather than leaving home. This is what I said before. If you want more information, please, please, just this week, we opened up a YouTube channel of the video teachings that I do called the Red Door Diaries. So go to YouTube and find Interfaithfulness, uh, the Interfaithfulness channel. And please don't forget to subscribe. If you subscribe, YouTube begins to feel as though we're uh, a going concern and they give us uh, certain privileges of, of, of exposure, which do us a lot of good. So thank you very much from Interfaithfulness and from Stuart Dowerman. Here at Interfaithfulness, we're building bridges where history builds walls, and may all of you continue to build bridges to all those great Jews that show up in Richmond. <laughs> and I don't remember the name of that restaurant. Is it Picklesimers or whatever it's called? Of uh, that Jewish restaurant in Richmond. Oh, no, yeah. Pearlies. Yeah, I am, I am jealous. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, don't be jealous. You got Thank plenty you, David. Uh, Rabbi Stewart, is there a way that uh, we could, uh, if anyone had any questions, they could uh, email you? Yes, please do email me. I'd, lo I'd, love, to, I'd love your questions. Uh, you can, the easiest thing to remember is Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T, at interfaithfulness.org. Alrighty. Stewart, well, let's thank our, our special secret speaker. Uh, uh, Rabbi Stewart, do you want to see all the people? Yeah, let me see the let me see the crowd. All right, let's see here. All right, everyone, wave. Yeah. Hi, everybody.
A special hello to Mary and David Haller, who were such great hosts to me the last time I was there. I will tell them. And uh, uh, if, if the Moors are there, That's good. I would say a special hi to them, too. And to your Actually, lovely neith- neither well. of those are here. Don't tell him that. Will. He doesn't need to know that. <laughs> we will send <laughs> Yes, Rabbi, we will tell them. They're right They're right in the corner there. All right. Well, let me, uh, uh, can I uh, close this out in prayer? Or maybe, Rabbi, would you like to close this? Sure. Father, you've given us two privileges that are beyond estimation. First, You sent your son into the world for us and for our salvation, uh, that we might spend eternity in everlasting joy and community with you, even though we have proven in our lives that we do not deserve anything. So we thank you for this. And then we thank you, secondly, that you've given us the privilege of sharing this extraordinary invitation with other people. that we can be those who usher them into this great feast and this great community and this life of everlasting embodied immortality that even as Yeshua was raised, so shall we be and live forever on a new earth where righteousness dwells. Nothing can be greater than this. So Father, please help us to be attractive representatives of the message you have given us. Help us not to be intimidated because in the end, you're the one who does the heavy lifting. May we not be an obstacle, but may we be building bridges where history has built walls between you and our friends. And we'll give you thanks because that's what you deserve in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you, David. Thank you so much. That was great. I'll go. I'll go bye bye. Uh, so you can you can talk about me behind my back. So all right, <laughs> all right. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.